0: Hello and welcome to Coco Pods Podcast, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. My name is Dr. Bola Sagadi. I'm your host, I'm a women's health specialist. Today we are fortunate to have with us Dr. Jean M. Elwing, MD, FCCP, Professor of Medicine, Director of Pulmonary Hypertension Program, University of Cincinnati. She has received research grants and is principal investigator for several biotechnology companies, including Janssen, Briata, United Therapeutics, Liquidia, FaceBio, Bio, Bayer, Acceleron, Altavant, Aerovate She is also on the advisory committee board, United Therapeutics, Altavant, Erovit, Bayer, and Gossoma Bio, Dr. Elwing, thank you so much for coming. And please, as we delve in, can you give a word or two of advice to young students, especially young girls and young students, ladies, the guts and the grits needed to become a pulmonary hypertension specialist as you discuss the nuances of your career, and training, and motherhood, as I happen to know.
1: Well, first, thank you so much for having me. It was a great pleasure to meet you recently. And I really, really am happy to be here to talk about this important topic. And in terms of the guts and grits to get here, like yourself, I think we all have to have something we have passion about. And then we have to have constancy of purpose to be successful in getting there. So sometimes just showing up over and over and over till you are the one that is the person I was there. And that's sort of like in our lives, we have to keep working at things and trying to get to our goals. And I knew that I wanted to do pulmonary hypertension from during my residency after I finished medical school. And I went into fellowship in pulmonary critical care for this exact purpose. And worked in the lab and then worked clinically with this one goal to get to a point where I could positively affect people in my community and people regionally and nationally now with pulmonary hypertension and trying to increase awareness about this condition. So I'm really, really happy to have this opportunity so I can just kind of make you more aware of this condition, start to spark some thoughts about it and maybe influence someone's outcome because we talked about it today.
0: Thank you so much. You know, in some medical conditions, a pregnancy can have a prohibitively high cardiac risk and can turn out to be a life-threatening event for the mother and the baby. There are generally four of such conditions in which we as OBGYNs tell women that pregnancy can be very dangerous According to the American College of OBGYN, pulmonary arterial hypertension carries an increased risk of maternal mortality, that is the mother dying from the pregnancy. And this risk is reported to range between nine to 28%. That is up to 28 out of 100 women that have this condition while pregnant could die. How do you define pulmonary arterial hypertension in layman's terms? What exactly is it?
1: So pulmonary hypertension is a big group of illnesses where the blood pressure in the lungs is higher than normal. When we're talking specifically about pulmonary arterial hypertension, and that's what most of the literature in this area talks about, that's where you have true blood vessel disease in the lungs where they get stiffened and narrowed. And because of that, you have more resistance to push blood through the system. And the right heart, which is trying to push that blood through the lungs, get it oxygenated back to the left side of the heart and to the body is under too much stress and strain. So that right heart is pushing against this resistance. It's, it initially becomes thickened and stiff, and then it starts to dilate. And you ultimately end up with right-sided stress, strain, and right heart failure
0: wow thank you you know now everybody knows the terminology hypertension like you try to uh, describe to us everybody knows hypertension the condition of elevated blood pressure yet it's a silent killer that is people have the condition and they don't know and it could kill them and this is because at times people don't feel unwell yet they have the diagnosis So you as the specialist of this different kind of hypertension called pulmonary hypertension, again, what symptoms, you know, what would a woman with pulmonary hypertension feel? What would her body be telling her?
1: Well, very good question. And this is part of the problem with this illness because sometimes it is very general, nondescript, but the most common symptom is shortness of breath with activity. As the disease worsens, you can develop shortness of breath with less and less activity, even at rest. You also can develop chest pain, lightheaded dizziness, and even pass out because of it. So if you're developing symptoms that are very nonspecific with this shortness of breath and maybe some fatigue, lightheadedness, it's something we should think about, especially in women.
0: You know, and
1: during pregnancy,
0: women feel tired, they feel short of breath at times during normal pregnancy. What are the normal physiological changes of pregnancy that are poorly tolerated by a woman who happens to have pulmonary hypertension and is pregnant?
1: Well, you just heard that it's a disease of the lung blood vessels in the lungs. And because of that, there's increased resistance and increased stress and strain on the right heart. When we add pregnancy to this, we add extra fluid, extra blood flow, and extra work of the heart. So now we've taken a stressed heart and given it more work to do. So you can imagine that many people with more advanced pulmonary hypertension would not tolerate that.
0: So when we really want to go to the causes, what really would we say at the situations that cause this condition? How, and how does one's body come to develop the condition?
1: Well, we don't understand fully why it happens in some people and not others, but there are conditions that are associated with it. So in the reveal registry, which was a registry of the US looking at pulmonary hypertension patients, Half of those patients had pulmonary arterial hypertension for no reason. That is called idiopathic. The other half, the majority had it related to connective tissue disease, especially things like scleroderma, but also lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, Sjogren's, those kinds of things can be associated with the development of this pulmonary vascular disease resulting in pulmonary hypertension. Now there are some other conditions like HIV, Liver disease with portal hypertension, congenital heart disease, and certain medications and toxins that can cause it also. So a, numerous, a number of things can cause this, but we specifically look at patients who have certain history factors to increase our likelihood of looking more closely for it.
0: So, Dr. Elwin, thank you so much for that. And you did mention that some medications could put one at risk for having high blood pressure in the arteries of the lungs, pulmonary arterial hypertension. What are some of these medications that can put a person at risk for pulmonary arterial hypertension?
1: Well, that is a very good question. And this is something we continue to learn about and recently we found a clear association between patients who have been exposed to methamphetamines or meth as a drug of recreation or addiction or substance, and they have had a trigger for their pulmonary arterial hypertension because of that. Other things that can cause this condition are varied. We have some medications that are for cancer that can trigger it, like uh, a drug called desatnib. And then we have medications that are possibly associated like cocaine and other medications that you could be exposed through an herbal source like St. John's wort. So if you would develop this condition, we ask you a lot of questions about things you've been exposed to. We really started learning about pulmonary arterial hypertension after people received a medication for weight loss, which was called a menorex. This was over the counter and this was in Europe and people were exposed to it and this caused an epidemic of pulmonary arterial hypertension. So it really started us understanding that drugs could trigger this condition. After that, in the US, we found that people who were exposed to fenfen, which was another weight loss medications, developed this condition. So something to be aware of.
0: Wow, wow. thank you so much. You know, low-risk women with this condition might not be identified easily despite improved diagnosis that we have nowadays. Why is it that some people might be missed for this diagnosis?
1: Well, I think we all in general as a population are way too busy. We oftentimes think, oh, that shortness of breath, that's because I'm getting fat or I'm not exercising. Or if you're pregnant, you're like, I'm getting short of breath because I'm pregnant. But in this situation where Your husband or your boyfriend or or your sister is going, you're breathing really hard. Or you're like, I could go up those stairs in the past and I can't go up a flight of stairs anymore without really struggling. Think that something could be awry and ask and ask somebody to evaluate it because it's very hard to gauge sometimes for yourself when things are going too far, when you're getting more short of breath than you should be for certain situations.
0: Thank you for that. Even healthcare providers may not be familiar with the signs and symptoms of cardiovascular disease as an important step towards improving maternal outcome. And I was fortunate to meet you through attending, as an OBGYN, attending one of your lectures. So can you Tell us how healthcare providers themselves can become more familiar with the some of these symptoms leading to pulmonary arterial hypertension too?
1: Oh, yes. And this, I think, is what we have to do. This is the only way we're going to find this in our patients, because we can't diagnose what we are not familiar with. So how do we increase our familiarity with this? Well, One thing is to listen to podcasts like this, to go to lectures, and also just open something where you can read a little bit about it. It is a condition we've known for many years, but is still not on the radar of many providers. I think uh, it's hard because it has these non-specific symptoms associated with it. But once you take a second and learn about these more unusual conditions, rarer conditions, you will start to see them occasionally in your patient population. Now, I mentioned earlier that pulmonary hypertension is a big group of diseases. And actually, all of us who are healthcare providers, or even in our family, probably know somebody with elevated blood pressure in the lungs. Because it can happen for so many different reasons heart disease, lung disease. You know, we're concentrating on a rare form, which is pulmonary arterial hypertension, but I think you could start just by reading a little bit about this in general. Elevated blood pressure in the lungs, causing stress and strain on the right heart, which in all of its forms worsens prognosis overall. It makes people live less well and less long because of its presence.
0: So I just want to reiterate that if, as a provider, you know your patient has a heart or cardiovascular condition, you as a provider, uh, physician, physician assistant, nurse practitioners, providers, you should request an evaluation for your patient by a cardiologist, ideally before pregnancy or as early as possible during the pregnancy for an accurate diagnosis and assessment of the effects the pregnancy will have on the overlying cardiovascular disease. So how can the patient's healthcare providers assess the potential risk for the woman and her baby, so number one, how can they assess that potential risk for somebody maybe not even pregnant yet or somebody in early pregnancy? And then how can they optimize the underlying cardiac condition uh, as a woman is going into the pregnancy?
1: So what you said about understanding what is happening even before pregnancy, I think is the most important thing. I think we have to talk about how our exercise tolerance is, how it's changed. If we're having some of these non specific symptoms like chest discomfort, tachycardia, heart pounding, palpitations, and we have to take it seriously if we're thinking about something like pregnancy, because we have to understand where we are so we can optimally manage. Because it could be pulmonary arterial hypertension, or it could be deconditioning, or it could be decreased function of the left heart. We have to understand what it is and then get you to get the patient to the right provider to manage that. And I think that's the first thing, having those open lines of communication, expressing symptoms, understanding exercise limitation, and other things that could give us insight to what's going on.
0: Thank you. So once the diagnosis is is made, and it's classified into different, you know, classes, mild, moderate, severe. And after the health professionals give the information to the patient and ensures that she understands the hazards to her life, and a woman should actually not only be told not to get pregnant if she has severe pulmonary hypertension, but she should also receive effective contraception. And even... One of the additional steps, you know, which at times is a difficult step, is because this pregnancy in somebody with severe pulmonary hypertension can actually take the life of the woman. Uh, We we advise even termination of a pregnancy in a patient that has this diagnosis. So this is serious business, having severe pulmonary hypertension in pregnancy. I mean how, you know, you know, how, how would you discuss, you know, the the seriousness of this business? Because, you know, we, we tell the women not to get pregnant and we actually, when, when we find that they are pregnant and they have this diagnosis, we tell them this can take your life and we suggest terminating the pregnancy. How serious is this condition really?
1: So as you mentioned, You mentioned up to 28% mortality. And if you look at the literature, it's sometimes even higher than that that's reported. And in places that don't have access to a PAH specialist, they may have even worse outcomes because you really need this integrated team that includes the OBGYN, maternal fetal medicine, anesthesia, the PAH specialists, all working together. And you have to make sure that they have the knowledge and the resources to be able to manage this. Okay, so it is very serious if it happens. So how do we approach it? I think the most important thing is honesty. We have to be honest with the patient, provide the information we have. We have to provide the unknowns also. Really understand what their pulmonary hypertension is, and we have to help them understand how pregnancy can affect them. And once they understand, they can, they can sort of get a handle on how that could really stress and strain the right heart and really discuss that mortality is real in this condition. It is not to scare them. It is to try to protect them. And I think that's the best way and the best approach. If we can prevent pregnancy, that is the ultimate goal. I know people want to have children and this is such an important part of life, but we have to be able to guide people to the safest approach. And as you mentioned, sometimes termination is recommended and that's recommended by guidelines. And that is something that we have to talk about with patients and we have to respect their opinion and respect their wishes but allow them to have the correct information so they can make the right decision for themselves.
0: And yes, in obstetrics, in some of these women, we also talk about reproductive alternatives, such as surrogacy or adoption. Now, during your conversation, you mentioned a pulmonary arterial hypertension specialist. And I know you are such a specialist, but I'm not sure there's so many specialists like you, even in the United States. And I think you are probably the first specialist like this that I have met. So where are the pulmonary arterial hypertension specialists, you know, apart from in the University of Cincinnati, like you, where are they in the United States?
1: So we have pretty much covered most of the U.S. in terms of centers throughout the U.S. We started with five certified centers, which we were one of them. And now there's more than 50 across the U.S. But there are some areas that are less covered in terms of pulmonary arterial hypertension expertise. So the best way to find someone, if you are in this situation, is to go to the Pulmonary Hypertension Association and find a doctor. You'll be able to not only on that website, find the certified centers, but also physicians in your region that may have an interest or expertise in this area. So this is really important because if you are in this situation where you are pregnant and have pulmonary hypertension or have been told you might have pulmonary hypertension and want to become pregnant. You want to go to someone who has the most experience so they can guide you in the best way possible.
0: So Dr. Elwin, thank you so much for this discussion so far. So if after we have a woman, we've given her all this counseling about how dangerous pregnancy and severe pulmonary hypertension could be, and she chooses to proceed with getting pregnant or she does not regard termination of the pregnancy as an acceptable option and chooses to carry on with the pregnancy, knowing fully well that this could cost her life. What are the next steps that we
1: should do at this point? So this does happen. And I do think what we have to do when we approach this is respect everyone's opinion, everyone's belief, and make sure they're aware we will do everything we can working together with their other care providers to have the best outcome we can for both the baby and the mother, knowing that we do have real risk and it will not be an easy process because we have to do everything we can to protect her during that whole entire pregnancy and for several weeks after.
0: I mean, do we still encourage the usual, you know, pre-pregnancy items, you know, folic acid usage, low dose aspirin, prophylaxis, weight management strategies, including referral to a registered dietitian, peer support, improved access to opportunities for physical activities, especially in places like we work in which we don't have as much resources.
1: Absolutely. We want everything we can to make sure that we protect all aspects of pregnancy and give mom and baby the best chance of a good outcome.
0: Thank you. So now, you know, we're stuck with the diagnosis of the pregnant woman with this condition. How can we manage it? And what are some of the effects of advanced antipulmonary hypertension therapies that we have now?
1: Okay. So, When we have a situation where we think someone may have pulmonary hypertension, it'll be a little bit different than if they're already diagnosed. So if we meet a patient that is pregnant and they come to us and ask us, what do we do from here? We need to diagnose them. And we diagnose them through an invasive procedure, which is not of zero risk for mom and baby. It is a invasive procedure called the right-sided heart catheterization. We can do that with minimal or no sedation, and we can do it without fluoroscopy if needed. And what that does is measure the pressures in the heart and the lungs and diagnoses pulmonary hypertension if present. If the patient already knows about their pulmonary hypertension, we oftentimes don't repeat the heart catheterization at that point. We go straight to medications for both groups if they do have significant pulmonary arterial hypertension. And that medication will depend on the severity of illness. Many times we're using a pill, which is a phosphodiesterase inhibitor. And frequently we're using IV therapy in our more severe patients, where we infuse a medicine 24 hours a day that tries to relax the blood vessels in the lungs, help blood flow better through there and reduce the stress and strain on the right heart. These are our most effective therapies in patients who are pregnant, both classes usually use together.
0: So, you know, I just want to put a quick message out to the pregnant woman out there. So, you as a pregnant woman with a diagnosis of this condition, you want to deliver in a hospital setting. And we know that there is a rising trend of women wanting to deliver at home or definitely outside of the hospital for one reason or the other, including mistrust of the systems of providers. But a woman that has this diagnosis has to deliver in a hospital setting, not at home, not in a birth center, and there has to be a pregnancy heart team involved because the outcomes are significantly better for women in these facilities. So Dr. Elwing, as a member of a pregnancy heart team, and you talked about this briefly, who are your other team members and what specifically do you do on that team?
1: Mm -hmm. So this is a group effort. And you as a person who may be pregnant with pulmonary hypertension, need every single one of the people on that team. You need your OBGYN. You need your maternal fetal medicine specialist. You need a pulmonary hypertension specialist to decide what medications you need and how to go up and down on those medications, when to bring you in the hospital for them, when to repeat testing, monitor you, do echoes on the heart to see how the heart is working. We need a cardiologist who sometimes is the pulmonary hypertension specialist and sometimes is working with the team to do heart procedures like the right heart catheterization if needed. We need experienced cardiac anesthesiologists to be there for us when we need to deliver the baby because we want their expertise. Because you could get sick during surgery if you were the one who has pulmonary hypertension and is pregnant. And we need a neonatologist to help us take care of the baby after the baby is born. And these pieces are all essential for the best outcomes. We can't be missing any parts of those. So really a joint effort for best outcomes. So,
0: I mean, Dr. Elwin, have you, and I'm sure you have managed several patients, but have you co-managed a condition like this with obstetricians, maternal fetal medicine, high risk OB doctors and cardiologists? And do you have a story of a good outcome or... Otherwise, yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. So we've fortunately had some very nice outcomes and unfortunately some not so positive outcomes. And I think we have to always remember that we still, despite every advance we have made in medicine, still lose women when they're pregnant with pulmonary hypertension and they deliver. And it is real. And we all know it, and it scares us all to death. So we we have worked very closely together to develop a system so we can be ready if this happens, because we don't know when we're going to meet our next pregnant patient who gets diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension in their late second trimester. And that happened really early on in my practice. I met this lovely young lady who developed lupus and severe pulmonary hypertension about halfway through pregnancy. And we diagnosed her by right heart catheterization. We treated her with those same two medications, some pills and some IV therapy. We brought her in the hospital early. She underwent C-section delivery with a very well-equipped team and cardiac anesthesia. She remained in the surgical ICU for an extended period of time. We did have complications with bleeding and we needed pressors and inotropes to keep the blood pressure up and the heart working well. And I'm so happy to say that despite the fact that I met her when I started working at the institution I'm at, I still take care of her. Her children are doing well and she is doing great. And actually on less medicines now than she was during pregnancy. And she's a great outcome. Wow. And she was lovely, and her children have done really, really well. She has a a child before this, also. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But unfortunately, sometimes we also meet patients that are really sick. They may not know they were even pregnant, or they may not know they have pulmonary hypertension. And we meet them when things are already unraveled in a way we can't put them back together. And we do everything we can to try to give them the best shot to make it. And we have to understand that we sometimes cannot recover when patients are so very, very sick. So I think the earlier we meet patients with pulmonary hypertension, the sooner we get them diagnosed, the higher and the better doses of medications we can get them on to protect them and to make sure they've met all of those people of that essential team. And we've got everybody on the same page, the more likely we will be talking to each other five years past that about how lucky we were that everything went so well.
0: Thank you. Thank you for all you do. Thank you. And you did talk about some medications, including uh, blood thinners, uh, uh, which we call anticoagulation therapy. Blood thinners. Should these be continued when there's an established indication outside of pregnancy? Is there a bleeding risk? And Did you just want to talk about that? And and how, how will this risk be done, for instance, on an individual basis? Because some women have certain conditions, you know?
1: Oh, yes. So I talked a lot about pulmonary hypertension being the big group of illnesses, and then pulmonary arterial hypertension to being a small group of people with pulmonary vascular disease or blood vessel disease in the lungs. There's actually another form of pulmonary hypertension that's equally as rare, but it's related to chronic blood clots in the lungs. And that if, that can affect y- women of childbearing age also. So those people that are affected by chronic blood clots in the lungs would need to be on blood thinners during their entire pregnancy in the safest way we can do that. Those would be a group of patients we would keep on blood thinners. All of the patients who have pulmonary arterial hypertension, we will do everything we can to try to reduce their risk of, blood clots. Um, we don't necessarily keep them on blood thinners their entire pregnancy. We would work with their high-risk OB to decide when we would initiate something to reduce their risk of blood thinners. We would work with their high-risk OB to determine when we should start a medication to reduce their risk of blood clots.
0: And th- this Eisenmenger syndrome, is that the other rare form of
1: Okay. So that is something we have to be aware of. And I think that is one thing we have to be aware of. And that is one area of pulmonary hypertension where we've learned a lot about pregnancy and outcomes. So what is Eisenmenger syndrome? Eisenmenger syndrome is when you have a congenital heart disease or a hole in your heart or a a way the heart is formed that is a little bit different than the average person. And over time, it's caused increased blood pressure in the lungs pulmonary vascular disease again. And there's a point at which the blood does not flow from the right side of the heart to the lungs. It bypasses the lungs. And because it does that, and that's because of pressures and resistance in the lungs, you can get low oxygen levels. So that's what Eisenmenger syndrome is. It's when you have congenital heart disease and you shunt and you miss the lungs and you don't get as much oxygen in the bloodstream and your oxygen levels are low. This is when the congenital heart disease related pulmonary hypertension is significant. And that has significant increased risk when you're pregnant.
0: A timely delivery plan is usually constructed during this working with a group of people. And this delivery plan is available to all team members. The best mode of delivery can be a matter of debate. Vaginal delivery is associated with volume changes during contractions, which can pose a problem in women with pulmonary hypertension since they have limited capability to increase their cardiac output, that is the output from their heart. Also, pushing during labor and delivery can have adverse effects, uh, adverse hemodynamic effects. A planned caesarean delivery may be a better choice, though a vaginal delivery is not considered absolutely contraindicated. It's not considered to be absolutely contraindicated. Okay. So Dr. Elwin, thank you so much. A timely delivery plan, when we work with a hard team, is usually constructed and can be made available to all team members. The best mode of delivery can be a matter of debate. Vaginal delivery is associated with volume changes during contractions that can pose a problem in women with pulmonary hypertension, since they have a limited ability and capability to increase their cardiac output, that is the amount of blood their heart is pushing out. Also, while pushing, okay, pushing the baby out, This can have adverse hemodynamic effects. A planned cesarean delivery may therefore be a better choice, though a vaginal delivery is not considered absolutely contraindicated. In many cases, vaginal delivery will not be an option because at times there is a need for early preterm delivery. From the case you talked about, you talked about the patient having a cesarean section. Is this the most common mode of delivery that you you have participated in?
1: So in my institution, yes. We usually plan a cesarean section with all those team members involved. And that is a very planned, thought out, everyone's uh, present and available delivery. But we have had some patients who have milder disease and one individual with pulmonary hypertension and lung disease who successfully delivered with a vaginal delivery. So I think you have to look at that patient individually. You have to know the severity of pulmonary hypertension, the medications you're on and really tailor it to that individual. But in my institution, if you ask me which one we usually opt for, it would be a C-section.
0: And you also mentioned a good anesthesia team. You know, when caesarean section is performed, general anesthesia has some disadvantages that need to be taken into account. That includes the fact that the heart can be depressed. The functioning of the heart can be depressed by the anesthetic agents used. And there can be even an increase in the vascular resistance of the blood vessels of the lungs in the pulmonary vascular resistance during intubation. That is when the anesthesia doctor is putting the tube into the lungs and breathing for the patient. That is, you know, we call that positive pressure ventilation. And I know your anesthesia team does the pain management. But, you know, when we talk about general anesthesia versus epidural or spinal anesthesia, is there one that might maybe be better for the mom in this condition? Though, of course, we have to manage two patients now, the mom and the baby. Yes. Right,
1: right, right. So. I think the best approach for pain management is enough to take the pain away, but not make the patient too drowsy, sleepy, or make the oxygen low. So oftentimes epidural pain control is very helpful. And um, that allows mom to be awake and interactive and not have the respiratory depression we would get if we were just using like oral narcotic pain management. So of course, we have to gear that towards the patient and understand their anatomy, physiology, and sometimes it wouldn't work for everyone, but that would be the general approach. What is your approach?
0: For pain management? Mm -hmm. I haven't managed a lot of patients with pulmonary arterial hypertension. So my institution is not equipped. Uh, we do not have a pulmonary arterial hypertension specialist. So most of these patients have been transferred out, oh, Okay, um, you know, when this happens. Mm-hmm. But again, for pain management in labor, the optimal situation is for the woman not to feel pain if we're going to do an operative delivery and balancing this with not too much suppression of the mom and hence of the baby coming out when it comes to a respiratory point of view. So thank you for that question. Yeah.
1: And I think that's where the experienced uh, anesthesiologist really comes in. And we do have an individual actually who I've worked with on projects before to try to make things better, smoother, and more integrated. But she is a cardiac anesthesiologist who works with the OBGYN. So kind of getting both sides of her expertise.